Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. A few years ago, my dad turned 70, and I was thinking through 70 years old. That's, you know, that's a big number. That's an accomplishment. I really wanted to get him something special for his birthday. He lives in Florida. It's far away. And I'm really not a creative gift giver. I, I just kind of was like putting it off. I don't know what to do. What, what, what do I get a guy? I mean, he's basically got everything that he needs. And I was thinking, and, I, and the, on the day before his birthday, I thought, I'll write him a letter. And so I'll write my dad a letter of, you know, he's turning 70, and I called the letter 70 Things About My Dad. And so I, I broke it down. I was, as I was trying to figure out what to write about, I, uh, I broke it down into some things that I, I appreciate about him, things that he's taught me, memories that we had. And it was fun. I, it took me some time, but I, I wrote it out. And some of the things I wrote down for him, I said, some of the things you've taught me are how to drive and how to drive well. My dad's a good driver. And my first car was a stick shift, so he taught me that. And that was trial by fire because the first thing he did is he brought me to a hill and parked it. <clears throat> and I had to go from there. That's what dads do, I think. So uh, maybe I'll do that. I don't know. Although stick shift isn't really as common now as it used to be. But uh, another thing I learned, I said, Dad, you, I've learned integrity. Uh, you don't just go the speed limit when you think there's a cop around the corner. You know, you, you figure out the law and you, and you follow that. And that's, that's that, light, that you know, idea of integrity that carries into other areas of life, too. I said, um, you've taught me how to make really good hash browns. Breakfast is a high priority in our family line, and so like that's that's been passed down. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'm teaching my kids that now. <laughs> um, you've taught me how, that it's important to take care of other people's stuff like I would my own. And the, and the way that I learned that was uh, we we grew up fishing on a lake, and I got my own lure, and I and I got it out of the box, and I went fishing, and when I finished, I, I dried it off, and I put it back in the box that it came in, and I stored it all nicely. And my dad said, uh, you never take care of my lures that way. They usually come back all mangled and like, you know, knotted and stuff. I never thought about it. it it's true. I, I, need to, I need to think through that. And then this one's really important. He taught me that fish don't have feelings. So if you catch them and the hook, and, and we were bad, me and my sisters, we, you know, we'd catch them and the hooks would be like sticking out the side of their face. And it was just, you know, don't worry, they don't have feelings. So I actually don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, that's... We're just going to go with it. I'll probably teach my kids that too. So I wrote, I wrote this letter, and uh, it, it took time, but it was really fun. I just I ended up feeling so excited and encouraged, and I, and I wanted to send it to him. And so uh, the next day I was like, hey, did you get my letter? And he said, oh, yeah. He's like, I printed it out, and I've been showing it to everybody. <laughs> and it, I think it had the impact that I wanted. I really wanted to encourage him. And I think writing it all out, taking the time to write it in a letter, uh, it communicated a lot more than if I would have just called him and talked, you know, had a conversation because um, I, I took the extra time to, to really be specific to communicate the richness of our relationship. And uh, I think sometimes you can get more out of a letter when you do it that way. It ended up being an email because he's far away. But my name is Bruce. I'm an associate pastor here at Orange Crest Community Church. And we're in this series about letters. It's called Lives and Letters. And we're going to look today at another letter that far outshines anything that I could write or anything that you could write. In the New Testament, the second half of the Bible is a collection of books. Most of them are letters written from a person, 
who saw Jesus rise from the dead. And it gives us incredibly helpful uh, understanding about how to live life. And so today we're looking at Paul's letter to uh, people who lived in the, in the city of Ephesus. It's called the letter to the Ephesians. And Paul also, he took his time. This wasn't, you know, the, the concepts in his letter, maybe he could have communicated verbally, but you can tell he really thought through how to communicate um, a brilliant letter. It's brilliant because of how insightful it is, but it's also radiant and just exciting and, and, and just it's brimming with hope and joy. Many of the other letters are written to address a problem or to take care of something or get something cleaned up. Uh, but this letter that we're going to look at, it's a letter of encouragement. I know a few people who, who have said this is their favorite book in the Bible. And so a little background on Ephesus. You can see where it is on the map here. It's on the coast of uh, what's modern now in modern-day Turkey on the Mediterranean Sea. And there's ruins in this city that you can go to now. It was a wealthy city. It, it had the Temple of Diana, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It, since it was on the coast there, it was a port city. It was, had good for trade. And now, because of all that happened there, it's, it's like an archaeologist's paradise. Uh, there, there's so much to, to see and, and to find. And so it makes you think, what reason would Paul have to write to a group of Christians living in a wealthy city? Now, flash forward to a picture of where we live. <laughs> this is a picture of Southern California. No, I don't think anybody lives right on the water like that. But um, if you think about Southern California, when I do, I think about, I think about sun and palm trees and, and, and the beach, access to the beach. You know, I'm originally from upstate New York, and so when I think of Southern California, it's a pretty desirable place to live. And I must not be the only one that thinks that because there are a lot of people that live here. There's 20 million people that live in SoCal, and the numbers are just inflating all the time. People want to be here. And so, you know, maybe we've got some things in common with Ephesus, being sort of near the water, you know, wealthy, wealthy area to live in, affluent, and, and good place, a lot of sun. And if you, if you live in Southern California, you know, as nice as it, as it is, things aren't perfect here. And, and things weren't perfect in Ephesus either. No matter where you live, uh, no matter what time period you live in, life has got problems. Beneath the beautiful veneer of Southern California living, we all walk through trouble. You know, some of you know that we'll, we'll be moving to Santa Clarita in three months, and there's a team of people from our church. We're going to start a new church, and uh, most people that I've talked to see Santa Clarita as a really, it's a nice place, a good place to raise families. It's beautiful. The city is well-maintained. And when I was exploring that city as a possible location to, to start a new church, I, I'm, the first guy I met there, I met him on a hiking trail. And we talked for a while. I learned about his background and um, he was in the military and he's got kids and grandkids. And towards the end of our conversation, he started opening up a bit. And he said, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm actually concerned about where we're headed in this state and in our culture. I, I don't, I've, I've had a lot of jobs and I've had a lot of experience, but I just don't know what kind of world my Greek grandkids are going to grow up in. And he's expressing some anxiety and some concern about the future that I think I've I found to be common among people. And, you know, if you add to that the, the crushing weight of debt that many people in SoCal live with, add to that the pressure to keep up the image of, of that SoCal life, I was talking to a pastor 
in the area, and he said, much of Southern California looks a lot better than it is. He said, you know, it's beautiful on a postcard, but life can be crumbling underneath. A few of the things that we run up against is, is anxiety, you know, like that person expressed or like that comes up from things like disease. Uh, we also come up against shame and guilt uh, if, if you've run into problems or if you've caused problems. Sometimes you just you have a regret that you can't outrun. Loneliness is another thing that we, we face. You know, with as, as much connection and interaction as we have on our phones and technology, it's amazing how long you can go without feeling like you've got a meaningful connection with somebody. And then, you know, you, you kind of put these things together, and sometimes it feels like stress is just humming in the background. It's like a soundtrack to life that, that just keeps on going. So our, when we look at the trouble and the problems as they arise, they may seem financial. The problems may seem physical or, or relational. But the trouble and the turbulence that, that we face, it reveals a deeper spiritual problem. The thing, the thing that's at, really at the root of it is a spiritual problem. And part of the reason that Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians is, to, is well, part of it is, is to make it clear just how bad our problems really are. On our own, we're spiritually dead and bankrupt. Paul paints a pretty rough picture about our starting condition. In chapter 2, he says he's primarily addressing a, a group of Christians, people that follow Christ. And he says, and you... You all were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He's referring to our enemy, Satan, uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And, and he just describes how, how these people lived. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, uh, and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's a pretty bleak picture. But basically what he's saying is, is you know, when we start out, we're dead on, on the inside. But, but somehow walking through life, trying to make the best of it. We, we choose our default. We choose death apart from Christ. And we have a very real enemy that's trying to keep us there, keep us stuck there. On our own, we keep getting tripped up by our passions and our desires, going after the things we want, trying to find the things that are going to make us happy. That's a very natural way to live. God doesn't want us to get stuck in a loop. doesn't want us to, to, to be in a self-destructive way of living. He wants us to find a way out. And it's one of the ways that this may look, or the way, the way this does look, I have some images here. The Bible says that God loves you and me and all people. He wants us to experience really good life, really good, abundant life. But rather than turning to God, Every single one of us begins to sin. We go our own way. We want to be our own boss. Um, you, know, to, you know, for most of us, we, I don't want God or anyone else telling me how I ought to live. I want to do things my own way. And this is what condemns us, since God is the one who created us and designed life for us. And the result of this choice is our separation from God. The Bible says that our sin cuts us off from God, from knowing him personally, and so instead of experiencing that really good life and that freedom that God desires for us, we're dead spiritually. We're cut off from God, and we actually live in bondage to our enemy. This is why we feel stuck. This is why we feel disillusioned in life. But God fixed, he provided a way to fix the solution. So God sent Jesus, who died on the cross, and when he did that, it made a full payment for our sin. 
Jesus was raised from the dead, and now we have a path. We have a way to, to walk back towards God. So those who repent, those who, who decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn around. I'm, I'm going to stop figuring it out on my own, going my own way. I'm going to yield my life to Jesus. I'm going to let him be the boss of my life and call the shots. Then those people become children of God. They get welcomed into his family, and they experience that incredible life and that freedom that God desires. God, uh, Paul describes it this way. After he, he paints that really bleak picture, the very next verse, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. You know, if you think about that, like, deadness, that spiritual deadness, it just kind of us going along in life, figuring out, making a mess of things. You, you'd almost, it would almost make more sense if God just kind of let us walk off a cliff or if he would have just finished us off. That, that almost would make more sense, given how, how bad off we were. Instead of that, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And, and by grace, he means there is nothing we could have done to earn and deserve his kindness and affection towards us. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, kind of giving us a picture of our standing now and, and what, what it will look like in the future. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is lofty language. This is, it, there's sentences in this letter that they take a few readings for them to really sink in, to really grasp all that's in there. It's, there's a lot packed in. But the overall impression that you get is that there's a hope and there's a glory that far exceeds anything that we can find in the natural world. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ, Paul's hope, and my hope, is that you'll see the treasures of the riches of his incredible kindness if you decide to follow Jesus. And not necessarily material wealth, but some of the riches that we get are, are, are a peace. You know, you know, give up that anxiety and that trouble and that stress and get a peace, a sense of well-being in life, a sense of purpose and contentment, a path to follow, redemption, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you become a child of God. He becomes Father, and now we're part of, we're part of his family. You get, and, and another great benefit from that is you get brothers and sisters in the family of God who also want what's best for you. And so instead of being spiritually bankrupt and impoverished, just wallowing in spiritual poverty, which is really what we ought to get, we get an inheritance from God. And if you want to learn more about making that transition, figuring out what does it really look like for me to, to follow Jesus and what, what does that involve and what would that look like, let us know in the back of your connection card. There's a spot where you can ask for more information on that. One of the things we want to do in this message series is figure out what are these big letters that you see in the Bible and why were they written, who are they written to, and how do we make a bridge and apply it to what we're facing here today? That's one of the goals. We've looked at a few letters in the, in the following weeks. We have some more coming up. One of the things that we might have in common with people who lived in Ephesus, uh, they probably didn't grasp just how good the blessings are that they stepped into. Or maybe they knew, but they forgot. It's possible for us to find a way to, to God through Jesus, but still live like we're in spiritual poverty, still, still live bankrupt. Paul prayed for them constantly, 
that their, that their level of understanding would deepen and that, and that the eyes of their heart, their minds would be flooded with light and understanding. In the first chapter of Ephesians, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And he, he's, just, he's very excited about this group of people. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Their minds will start getting around this. They start developing understanding and their knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, and he really wants them to know three things. There's, there's three things that Paul seems desperate for them to really, really grasp, get a hold of. There's a lot of treasures we can get, but here he lists some treasures for being in God's family. He wants them to know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And so if you're following along in your listening guide, you can, you know, there's, there's some things you can add into your notes. The very first thing that Paul wants them to know is the hope to which he's called you. We need hope. There's a lot, there's a lot of turbulence in life. We, we have something, you know, for those of us that follow Jesus, we have something really, really good coming. We step on the other side of eternity. But it's not here yet. God has not saved us so fully that we get to escape pain in life. There's plenty of disease. There's plenty of loss. And there's plenty of attack on their way. There, there may be some really severe trouble on the path ahead for many of us. A Christian can struggle and endure horrible suffering and yet eagerly long for God's full freedom and, and help and redemption. The, the alternative, if we don't have this hope to hang on to, the alternative is to go through life, go through tough times, and then feel burned by people or feel burned by God and feel ripped off, get bitter, get stuck in grief, not be able to move on. It's this hope that lifts us up out of despair and discouragement. The second blessing that Paul lists is he really wants them to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The, 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 kind of, the kindness that's going to be shown to us when we, when we make it to heaven will be staggering. Even now, one of the riches that Paul is, is bringing up here is a community with other Christians. And we're referring to the saints, other people who believe and follow Jesus. Christ's followers are united by faith. And as we team together and we use our resources to accomplish the mission of God, that God has given us, it creates a wealth of relationships. This week, I went with my family to Disneyland, and it was a great time. Uh, a few of my kids haven't been there yet, and my daughter, she loved it so much every hour. She's like, thank you so much for bringing us here. <laughs> it was so fun. And we had a really good time. Partway through the day, though, we lost a backpack that had my car keys in it. And so, you know, we're, we figured out, like, oh, let's go, let's, you know, submit a loss and report lost and found thing, and uh, we're hoping, you know, as we're moving closer to when the park closed, we're hoping that they find it. I went back to where we thought it was, but there's nothing there. Like, they clean up Disneyland so fast, and uh, I'm like, they must have a pretty good system for this. And so when we, we went to Lost and Found, we saw people getting keys and wallets and all kinds of stuff back. We're like, okay, this is going to happen. And because, um, you know, we're making it to the end of the night, and two of my kids are already asleep in the stroller, and the other two are... are 
getting, they're starting to drag and uh, still no car keys. And I really, really, really didn't want to like, I, you know, it seemed like the best solution was to have someone bring our spare keys from home to Disneyland. And I really didn't want to do that because that's just, that's a big pain. And so anyways, the park closes. And so finally I had to send out a text and, um, you know, hey, is anybody <laughs> mind helping us out? And as soon as I hit text or hit the message, uh, within seconds, my buddy Albert calls and he says, I'm on the way. And he went to my house, grabbed my keys, and, and came and he met us there. And, and there were three or, three or four other people that had texted us, same thing. Hey, we're happy to help. And uh, the responsiveness, it was amazing. And uh, when my friend showed up, he did, he, it, there was no begrudging. You know, we, none of us made it home before midnight on a weekday. And, but, you know, he showed up and just the eagerness to help, you know, from him and from others, it was, it was amazing. And I, and I thought about this. I thought, I really do. We have a wealth of relationships here. Being a part of this body, a part of this family, God's family is, a, is an incredible thing. This is sort of like a, you know, a minor problem <laughs> that we face in life. We've had other difficulties we've walked through and we've had incredible support. We have a wealth of relationships here as we worship together on Sundays as we live life in groups together, as we work and we serve and, and we build things together, as we help each other work through problems, this is just a small part of that glorious inheritance in the saints. As we walk with God, we get to enjoy some of that now, but an even fuller, richer life and experience is coming. The third thing Paul wants us to know is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. God has great power to do what he says he's going to do. The very power that God used to bring Jesus back to life is the same power that he works in your life now. So far in history, the ability to raise someone from the dead is something that only God has been able to pull off. <laughs> uh, so not only does God have a, a very deep love and kindness and affection for us, and, and, and he wants to show us that, but he's got the power to do it. He is undeniably for us. Uh, two power downs that I, I keep cycling through lately. I, I keep encountering some, some physical tiredness and discouragement. And I, I've been experiencing it. I get, I get worn out physically and I get tired at the end of the day. We're trying, we're in a stage of life. We're trying to produce a lot. We've got young kids and that's got, you know, that's got a drain on it. Um, and every several days I've been dipping into discouragement and sometimes it happens on the same day and that's, that gets rough. And when that's happening, I just, I think I need help. I, I need something outside of me. And when I pray, when I, when I reflect on God's word and I, and I include other people to help me, I can feel God sustaining me. I can feel God keeping me going, not getting stuck. I think the enemy does want me to get stuck and cycle, you know, circle the drain. And I, I honestly, and, and that could happen. I could give into that. I get nervous about where I would end up if I disregarded God, just kind of checked out and just ignored the power that he's made available to me. When we cross the line of faith and God welcomes us into his family, we get access to some incredible benefits. Some, you know, some of the things we get are this hope, the riches and the inheritance and his power. Do you need any more of those things in your life right now? If you're new to Christianity, some of this might be news to you. Uh, maybe you've been walking with God for a while, and, and you may have heard this before, but it can be easy to lose sight of the treasure. 
you know, for any of us, even if you've been walking with God for years, it's kind of like if, to forget about the spiritual blessings that God has given us and, and made available to us. It's kind of like going to the grocery store and clipping coupons when you've got millions sitting in the bank. <laughs> it's kind of like you go through all this work to, to get the ads and get the scissors and cut them out and remember to bring them and, you know, 25 cents, you know, 55, 50 cents. And then you, all you could do is just go swipe the card and then you just got it totally taken care of. There's um, incredible blessings available. To, to us spiritually as we go through life. Back in, in 2009, there's this crazy story. Uh, two brothers were living in poverty in, in the country of Hungary. They, they lived in a cave just outside of Budapest, and they, just, they had no money, and so they, they made their living by, by finding junk on the road and selling it. And one day they were discovered, they were found by some charity workers who were looking for them, and they told them, you have a grandmother in Germany who just left you her inheritance, and its value is $5 billion. <laughs> That's crazy. That almost doesn't even seem real. You can find the story online. It's got to be real. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's almost inconceivable that it could happen. But in a way, it sort of reflects the drastic extremes that we experience spiritually. You know, going from deadness and poverty spiritually, and then, and then where God places us, it's mind-blowing. And, and the blessings that we get from Jesus so it will only result in good to enrich us. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement. It's so encouraging. Um, it, it may have been a letter written to a single church, or there may have been a few churches in the, in the city that it, it circulated around. But the Ephesians, they, either they didn't know or they lost sight of their spiritual blessings, and they needed a reminder. The same is true for us. Paul's letter, if you, if you read through it, it kind of lead, leaves you feeling away at the end. One of the things that this letter does is it, it leads us to respond to God with praise. It's incredible that God calls us to himself, that he saves us from our sin, and, but we've got to really pump the brakes and just halt and stop there for a moment because we would be getting off track. It's all, all this discussion would be pointless. If we thought the end goal was for our own satisfaction and benefit, the bigger picture reason that God gives us such a rich inheritance is for the praise of his own glory. It's for God's glory. The ultimate focus of this letter is not on us, but it's on God. The focus is not on the recipients of the gifts, but it's on the giver. And I think that's better anyway because we need something higher than ourselves to set our, our focus on. I spend enough time thinking about myself. I, I think about my concerns, about my desires, my hopes. It's so natural to become self-absorbed. And when I'm doing that, I'm no fun to be around. I know that already. <laughs> and it's my default to think about what I'm not getting, uh, think about how things are not going the way I want, you know, wallowing in discouragement. It can be depressing. I don't want to be there. Often our difficult circumstances of daily life can darken our perspective. I think most people are so absorbed by their, by their daily situation that it's hard to be grateful. I think we all want to be. I think we all want to be upbeat and positive. Like It's more enjoyable to go through life cheerful. But our daily situation seems to keep us stuck. Now get this. When Paul wrote this glorious beautiful, uplifting, encouraging letter. He was sitting in a cold, stony prison, locked up, in prison for something, probably wrongfully accused or or unjustly locked up, chained, sitting there. 
And, and this is not typically what you have in mind when you're thinking about your happy place. Where you'd like, where you, I'd like to write a nice letter in a dungeon. <laughs> Prisons are not usually full of delight and comfort, especially not in first century Rome. But Paul's attitude just goes to show the depth of his, his dependence on the Lord. He had a good handle on the hope, on the, on the riches. He had a good handle. He entrusted himself to the power of God. He wasn't himself absorbed, and he knew that God was working things out, not really just for Paul, but for the glory of God's own uh, renown. And, and Paul writes this in, in, in such a powerful way. In chapter 3, he says, Now to him, now to God, he's, he's referring to God, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Here it is. To him be the glory. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, including ours, forever and ever. Amen. When you read Ephesians, it's natural for gratitude just to start welling up when you really grasp what's real. And we can carry this with us. And so you might consider, what are some ways that I can, I can create space in my schedule to do this? How can I express gratitude back to God? How can I think about and really, really focus on the hope that I have and think about God's glory? If you spend time with God daily, don't rush through prayer. It can be easy to do that. And there was a while back I wanted to get more disciplined in my prayer time. And I realized if I'm sitting in a chair in the, in early in the morning, I get a little sleepy. So I think I need to change it up. I'm going to go on a prayer walk. And so I just start the morning walking up and down my block. And my prayer time would start with, with praise. And I'd say, God, you are so good. You're so powerful. Um, your kindness is, is humbling. I, and I would, just, I would go on like this and start for a few minutes. And this praise had the incredible impact of shrinking my problems. And, and the stuff that was so confusing and stressful began to diminish in size as I thought about God's incredible greatness. That's that last song that we sang, that the worship team led us on, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I love the third verse because I feel like it captures this concept of, of rich, numerous blessings. In that third verse, it says, it just kind of lists out a bunch of things we get. Pardon for sin, a peace that endures. We get God's dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. These, blessing, these are blessings that are all mine. And then 10,000 beside, you couldn't even fit them in a song. And the chorus goes on to say, great is thy faithfulness. The focus again is on God. Great is thy faithfulness. The other thing you could do is think about how to, maybe I can make Ephesians a regular review. You know, I, I, make sure I go through it at least once a year, maybe a couple times a year. As, you know how sometimes you look at your financial portfolio and figure out where you are for retirement or, or long-term savings? It's kind of like looking at your spiritual portfolio and reminding yourself where I'm at and what God has given us and what's coming. And, and to read through this letter really only takes about 15 to 20 minutes. As you move through this letter, there's some other really big concepts that are covered uh, in chapters 4 through 6. And, and the purpose of this series is not to hit everything in one in message, but more to, get it, to give an overview. But Paul talks about unity in the body of Christ. He talks about how to live in a way that pleases God. It's very, very practical. He also talks about guidance for household relationships. And then he wraps up this letter with something that ought to be ringing in our minds. When you finish reading, you're, you're left with a sense of urgency to battle for the right per- perspective. He, in the last chapter, in 6, he says, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I think Paul might have saved this section, and it goes on. I think he may have saved this section for last because I think he wanted it to be stuck in our minds. You know, once you get a grip on these incredible spiritual blessings from earlier in the book, at that point, now we've got a battle. Between now and eternity, we're, we're, at, we're at war. Paul describes our situation as a present darkness. You don't have to look long at the world around you to find darkness. Just because we have access to these riches that God provides in his kindness, it doesn't mean that life is going to be smooth. In, fa- in fact, it won't be. Life is not going to be smooth. There are forces actively working against us, trying to get us off track, trying to get us discouraged. We need to fight for the right perspective, and that's a fight that will not let up until we get to the end of life. The biggest battles of your whole life will be fought right here in your mind. And so a few of the ways that Paul tells us to battle, he says, be strong. Get a grip. (laughs) Stand strong. He says, put on the full armor of God. There's very detailed instructions for that. It says, be alert, which means don't be surprised when you get off track or when you get attacked. Be, be prepared for that. Paul says, pray continually. And so you can, you can study this part of the letter to develop a stronger battle stance. To get a grip on the incredible realities and the blessings that are in store for followers of Jesus, we're going to have to fight for them. We're going to have to fight through doubt. Just, you're not really sure. Is this stuff real? Is it true? You're going to have to fight through discouragement. You just want to go all sloppy and slack-handed in life. You're going to have to fight through confusion and pain. I love Ephesians because it tells us what's, what's real about life. The Bare Bones Bible Handbook is a resource we've been referring to in this series. It's, it's a tool you could use to, to help you get a grip on these different books and letters that we're looking at in the Bible. But it, the, the book describes Ephesians this way. It says, the first half of the letter describes the believer's wealth in Christ. And, this, and the last half challenges a believer's walk in Christ. Ephesians fills us with hope, and then it gives us the practical steps to walk in it. So you might want to take one of these next steps. Uh, you might want to do that thing of creating space in your schedule to express your gratitude back to God. You might want to read the book of Ephesians and, and just start journaling. Take some notes about the riches that are given to those who follow Christ. And this, is, this might be another one. Maybe you want to get some advice from a leader at OCC about how to battle for the right perspective if you're feeling stuck. Life can feel us feeling emotionally or spiritually impoverished. You know, like we're feeling we're just scraping by, going day to day, going week to week. Imagine living in the reality of God's rich inheritance. Imagine having an upbeat hope that helps us press through and make it, you know, jump over the hurdles and the challenges of life. God offers a very different very full, exciting life, more than anything we can find on our own. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. The, the riches and, and the kindness detailed in this letter are, are almost more than we can conceive. It's your, your, your love for us is immeasurable. Your power is immeasurable. And we are so humbled when we reflect on that. Grateful, Lord, at the lengths that you went to save us and to make a path even when we were dead, even when we disregarded you, you made a way for us to, to get back to you and, and to provide a life that's just glorious and incredible. Would you help us to hold firm, to stand uh, courageously in those truths? 
And for those that are investigating and trying to figure out what that would look like and how to do that, I pray that you would um, enlighten their path, help them to, to walk the, across that line into God's family, to accept you and your ways for living. We thank you, Father, for your incredible grace towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.